There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Knock, knock. Hi, uh, I'm Peter Davison. I'm playing the doctor. Oh, hello. I'm Janet Fielding. I'm playing Tegan, one of your companions. Wonderful. Lovely to meet you. I, um... I confess I'm a tad nervous about this. <laughs> me too, me too. Big role, big responsibility. Yes, quite. Uh, shall we do this read-through together? Certainly. Oh no! The TARDIS is hurtling into the vortex. Now, if my calculations are correct, the inertial dampers need to be thrown now. Tegan, hit that switch! No problem, Doctor! Uh, uh, uh sorry, Janet. Uh, what was that? Oh, my character's from Australia. Right. That was maybe a... Bit much? Could you try toning it down just a tad, you know, just a scooch? Oh, sure, absolutely. I'll give it a go for certain. Right, here we go. Quick, Tegan, before the TARDIS is torn apart by this time storm, through the lever. Oh, no, Doctor, not TARDIS. That'd be shit goddamn Brisbane. <laughs> oh, my God, Janet, what was that? I thought you were an Australian actress. Well, yes, but I moved here years ago and my accent has slipped. Where did it slip? It sounds like a pig being fed through a bloody blender. Listen, I'm doing my best Aussie accent. And if they don't like it, you can dub it in post, okay? Just like they did with Darth Vader and James Earl Jones. Ah, uh, don't worry. The TARDIS has landed. Thank goodness for that. See? Brave heart, Tegan. I'm only brave when I have to be. Simba, being brave doesn't mean you go looking for trouble. Uh, w- wait. Who's Simba? Hello everyone and welcome to The Doctor Is In. I'm Paul Verhoeven, I'm your host, and this is your weekly hot piping mug of Doctor Who podcast goodness. It really is very, very hot this week, so maybe blow on it first. Actually, you know, I've been looking for a tagline, guys, and The Doctor Is In blow on it first is... Terrible. It's terrible. Let's move on. Uh, just a quick addendum. I want to say thank you very much to Tegan Higginbotham uh, from ABC2's Whovians for voicing Tegan Javanka in the sketch at the front of the episode. If you didn't get that reference, the fact is that Janet Fielding, who played Tegan in the Fifth Doctor's run of classic Doctor Who, was Australian, but she'd actually gone and moved across uh, to England and had kind of lost her accent. So when she got on set to play an Australian, she ramped it up and it sounded like a somebody being tossed in a wheat thresher, frankly. So that's that sketch explained. But, you know, obviously we're just having a good nature dig. Janet Fielding's amazing. Anyway, we have an absolutely brilliant show today. We are looking at the punchiest of all the classic Doctors, John Pertwee, in my weekly segment, Doctor Who's Cliff's Notes. And we're going to be having a chat with the writer of this week's episode of Doctor Who, Thin Ice. That's right, writer and extraordinary wit Sarah Dollard will be joining us on the show. But first, whose news is it anyway? In Doctor Who news, rumours are circulating again that Doctor Who has been entered into consideration for the Emmys. Now, this is just a rumour and, you know, it's a British show, so I don't think anybody really cares if it doesn't win one. And the fact that it's been submitted again as a nominee isn't really that big of a deal. But frankly, I actually want a win for no other reason that I want to see Peter Capaldi 
go up to accept his, you know, his, his award and then just sort of sneakily rip out a guitar and just pull a mad solo in front of everybody. Just confuse the crap out of them. So that's happened. But the real news this week is that Michelle Gomez, who plays Missy in Doctor Who, has done something pretty special. So what's happened is there is a new line of Doctor Who Mr. Men books. You know, the, the kids' books, Mr. Men. The creator of Mr. Men, Roger Hargraves, has a son. Adam Hargraves, and Adam has teamed up with the BBC to basically release a series of Doctor Who Mr. Men books, and the latest one, the, uh, the one that's called Doctor Twelfth, uh, has been released as an animated short with Michelle Gomez reading the book as Missy. Now, I highly recommend you go and have a watch. It's on YouTube right now. It's quite brilliant. It's utterly lovely, although it is a little odd that we would have a fictional mass murderer reading a children's book. I mean, that's just about the creepiest thing ever. This would not swing with any other franchise. They couldn't do this with Aliens. You know, like Spot meets the Xenomorph. Man, it's a good thing that book was chillable and waterproof because there was a lot of blood, the publishers would say, before being promptly shut down. Poor Spot. Anyway, that's enough news. Time now to catch up with the writer of Thin Ice, this week's episode of Doctor Who, Sarah Dollard. Now, Sarah is a superb screenwriter, a massive Doctor Who fan, and is fond of Cutlass. I caught up with Sarah over the phone from London. Enjoy. Hello. Good. <laughs> now, let's just talk about where you started, because you obviously didn't start by writing on Doctor Who, but did you start, <laughs> but did you, did you start wanting to write for Doctor Who? Like, what was your end game? Because you started working on, you know, Neighbours, and you were, you know, a script editor, and you were obviously shaping the structure of a show, which is, like, you couldn't be more different from Doctor Who at that point. Did you have, did you know you'd end up where you are? <laughs> oh, gosh, no. Um, to say that I, I'm not the kind of person really who has engaged. Um, and the idea of writing Doctor Who would have just seemed absolutely ridiculous uh, and hilarious to me at that time. It still feels that way to me most of the time. <laughs> so I think if I, um, <laughs> if I went back to, to, to me in, in uh, 2005, um, when I started at Neighbours, I just would have, I would have laughed myself uh, out of the room. I think. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, obviously, you know, Neighbours is very, and I'm using this term loosely. It's kind of grounded in reality, I guess. Whereas Doctor Who is, you know, yeah. <laughs> the, the exact opposite. Did you think, you know, when when you were a kid, did you grow up watching Doctor Who, or was it something you came to later on in life? Yeah, no, uh, grew up watching it. Um, when I came from home from school, um, Doctor Who would be on the ABC. Yeah. Um, so, um, grew up, you know. Watching, but the ones that stick in, stick in my mind as being on all the time was sort of Tom Baker, Pete Davidson, Justin McCoy. Um, so we'd come home and see them. Um, and it always just seems, um, you know, it was just always around. I talked to um, British uh, Doctor Who fans who sort of talk about like sort of like trading episodes on VHS and stuff over here. Um, when it was just sort of, it was just like flowing out of the tap right here at me. Yeah, no, I, I always loved like genre telly so uh i i would have been doing that from the start if that was something i could do in australia from the start sure um but you know as you know um you know on australian telly there's not too many kind of esoteric shows i suppose like you get your mainstream tv like the market supports stuff that that appeals to the greater majority rather than having having budget to do 
to do genre. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I totally agree. But I mean, growing up, it was weird growing up, you know, the 80s and 90s and having that slow, like you said, that almost illicit afternoon, like, fix of, mm. you know, of the of the intro yeah. to Doctor Who. And So who was your doctor? Because you mentioned four, five, and, you know, onwards. Who was the doctor that informed you the most? Yeah, I find that a really difficult one to answer because my memory as a kid is uh, the more just, like, it felt like there was a different one on every afternoon. And I'm sure it wouldn't have been that way. Sure. Um, but um, that's that's what my memory's done. I don't know. I think there's definitely a lot uh, a lot of influence of, of Tom Baker for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think I got influenced by companions too. Um, people always ask me like the, the Doctor question, but um, you know, I'm definitely influenced by Sarah Jane and by Ace. Um, yes, yeah. Sure, in my writing. Well, because Ace was the um, one I remembered the most as well, and I think I'm seeing a lot of Ace in Bill already, and I'm just actually yeah. come to think of it, Bill is probably a pretty elegant mishmash of Sarah Jane and Ace. I would say pretty cleanly, you know. Yeah, actually, that that's very true. Um, but yeah, there's, I think there's definitely um, a lot of Ace in there. She, I, I think, too, just in terms of tone, in terms of fun, in terms of uh, a character who desperately wants to have their, their horizons broadened, but perhaps Ace wouldn't have admitted that. Um, <laughs> uh, and so it, jumping in the TARDIS is like getting, you know, it, it's like going backpacking for, for nine months, except it's the most, most awesome uh, version of that you could possibly imagine. Oh, my God, yeah, without having to stay in a bloody hostel, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, I guess... Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. People don't often fixate on which companion, you know, was your companion. Uh, but how do you think you would fare mm. if you were dumped in the TARDIS? Like, let's be perfectly honest. Like, right now, you're in London, you're a writer, you've, you've presumably got some, you know, some roots down. Would you throw it all away to run off with the Doctor, or would you would you struggle a bit with that choice? No, I would totally run off. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely would. In fact, I think I'd probably keep my life uh, somewhat free of strings just in case that might happen any day. Oh no! I know, I know you. You've got you've got like a you've got a little bag packed in the corner all the time, like at all times, just ready to go, don't you? You've got a little bu- a bug out bag. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got, got to keep relative. Got to keep relatively fit for all that running up and down corridors. Oh, that explains all the cardio. I see people working out in London a lot. Like, you walk past gyms, and that's why. Just in case they hear that familiar vorp vorp and the doctor puts his hand out, gives them the key, that's a big step. Do you think you'd deal with being given the key? Yeah, it's a very good motivator when I'm on the treadmill. Oh, God. It's just so funny. Imagine just moving in with with somebody and just going, honey, listen, um, just so you know, that bag over there is just, I'm always going to have one foot out the door just in case the doctor appears, you know? Yeah, don't take it personally. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Christ. So, um, the episode that you wrote uh, for this season, Thin Ice, um, first of all, it's it's really bloody good. I I just have to you know come out and say that. I think it's I think it's wonderful. Um, oh, thank you. And I'm not sure how you are at taking compliments, but because uh, I can't see what color your face has turned, but it's 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 really good. Um, and it, it also played I'm into <laughs> right. Okay, that, that's very healthy. But it's also played into the way I perceive the Doctor, which is kind of like a drunken master you know like he he uses a vague sheen of you know buffoonery or every doctor's got that kind of facade they put up in the case of you know um capaldi it's kind of this dickensian curmudgeon which is conveyed perfectly because you said it in that era of england but he's not 
he's not incapable. Like he's he's hyper capable. But he puts it on, and I just wanted to see if if you agreed with that, or if you think maybe he's coming from a different direction. Is he actually just an idiot in a box, or does he know exactly what he's doing? Is what I'm asking. Um, I think he a lot of the time he does. I think that he he sort of pretends that things are. Um, kind of easy or throwaway for him. Uh, for him, like so, for instance, in there was a, a couple of great lines in Smile um, last week mm. when he was sort of playing down what he does in the world and saying, you know, don't sentimentalize me. Um, you know, I, you know that I don't do anything special. I think he he doesn't want to look like he's trying. Uh, he also doesn't want to look like he has uh, emotions. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. But I will say the, the big caveat with 12 is that I think he's uh, inordinately emotional. Uh, and so even though he is clever and he does have a plan sometimes, I think he is um, incredibly impulsive and lets his um, all those emotions that he pretends not to have yeah. come bursting to the, out, out to the surface incredibly easily. Um, so as you see, you know, um, a couple of times... <laughs> minutes before just gone all right you got to keep this stuff in check and then this piece of crap is you know racist sexist exactly what we expected from the era and he just slugs him which i haven't seen a doctor hit somebody in the face since i think tom baker in seeds of doom was just because they were still writing scripts for pertwee and pertwee was very punchy so there's one point where tom baker just clocks a guy in the face and i'm like you, you the doctor swears no harm, and you have just broken a guy's jaw. But it felt right, like, and it didn't feel like it clashed at all with Capaldi's doctor. You know, uh, I'm, I'm glad you say that. I have to say, I wouldn't have had the confidence to just to go ahead and, and write the punch myself. Um, but the scene was definitely heading in that direction, yeah. and uh, and Stephen encouraged me to do it. Uh, and I was my initial thought was, oh no, I, I personally don't like it when the doctor gets violent. Um, and I like that thing of the, you know, there's a reason that the doctor doesn't carry doesn't carry a weapon. Mm. You know that he has a, a sonic screwdriver. He has a tool, not a weapon. So my initial reaction was, oh, and then and then I started to think about the scene, and I started to think about how how emotional um, twelve is, and um, and it felt completely right. And then and so when I went back after that meeting with Stephen and wrote the scene, um, it felt good. And you know that that hypocrisy of his his of of pretending that he's in control um, of projecting that image that he has of of being you know like the considered scholar and he would like other people to view him that way. Yes. Uh, so yeah. he's telling Bill to telling Bill, look, you're you're an emotional person. You fly off the handle. Uh, take <laughs> it back to yeah. Do as I say, not as I do. I think is the lesson so, he's trying to impart. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, um, comedy comes from um, people having uh, their image of themselves being being contrary to reality. And I think that there's great opportunity for that with 12 and his uh, delusions. Oh, my God, yeah. And then he follows it up with that speech, which instantly, you know, drains the venom from that situation. And that speech is among, like, that's why I watch Doctor Who. You watch Doctor Who for those moments where he is just, like, staggeringly kind and very tired, but really, you know, his convictions kind of bear him through. And it was just seeing Bill's face... And then for a moment, the screen went dark and I could see my reflection in the screen and I was pulling the exact same face. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, yeah. I just, I really... Oh, that's nice to hear. Yeah, you just, it, it, was, it was great. I also wanted to ask you about the, 
there was a scene in the episode where she asks the doctor whether he's killed people before and I had to start kind mm-hmm. of racking my brains as to whether he has and my first thought was well, well of course he has like you have yeah. to and even without referring to a specific instance like that's that sucks for a doctor to fix things to have to like excise you know gangrenous limbs like he's he, he, this doctor seems to be treating the universe like a very like it's a body on a slab and he's just being practical and just trying to and, and seeing Bill sort of mm. sort of do that equation in her head when she couldn't save everybody on the ice was, was very interesting as well. Yeah, one of the really interesting things about coming in with a new companion uh, who has no preconceived notions of, of the Doctor mm. is is to going through all those steps of her discovering those things. Um, and when I first started my episode, I didn't know, you know what things, what revelations there would be in the episode. Um, but Stephen sort of said from the start that, you know, it should be a series of firsts and I didn't set out to do to have her to understand just how much mortality there is uh, in the doctor's life mm. but um, this, this, the story brought that um, you know because obviously yeah there's a, a death fairly early on in the episode and you know you have to kind of touch on that darkness because it's such a huge part of, of why the doctor is as you say both tired and terribly kind yeah, and I, I think I think that's why we like him as a character. But do you think this episode is timely? Because obviously, like you know, there are certain parts of the world that are swinging in a really dark direction. In fact, like last week's episode touched on that as well. When Bill's going through the you know the the video playback of of history up to the point when the ships left, do you think there's commentary sneaking into these episodes? And I I mean I I, I think there might be in a general way. But were you trying to say anything specific? I set out to make a political comment, but I I feel really strongly that. Any story that you tell is political. You know, one can keep their politics uh, out of, of any story. I mean, yeah. even Neighbours betrays the politics of the people who write it. Um, and often you don't recognise that because maybe it, 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 the politics it, it are your politics. So, you know, it's like when you don't notice uh, when somebody has an accent if they have the same accent as you. Um, mm. so, so I think... Doctor Who, more so than most shows, though, as we know, uh, comes uh, comes up against more explicit politics because it's about what it means to be human, really, yeah. isn't it? Um, because most of the time it's a human travelling with the Doctor and the Doctor is other and we are other to him. So there's, you get a there's more of a spotlight on, on, on who we are and the decisions we make. Uh, Yes, this one is is more political than most um, in an explicit way. It was written um, early, so mid, early to mid two thousand sixteen. So it it, it wasn't, I guess, sort of <laughs> the rise of, of fascism and stuff that we're seeing now yeah, yeah. wasn't quite as acute then. Mm. But you know, we were seeing you know like the Republican primaries every day, and that was definitely you know around in my head and. Um, just reading the newspapers about, um, you know, every day here in the UK about, um, you know, cuts to benefits and the effects of austerity. All of that stuff comes out. is just in the ether. So, of course, it's going to come out in your writing. Yeah. And do you ever come up against uh, resistance to that? Because obviously as a writer, you're, you know, you paint from the, the canvas that, you know, you paint from the palette of colours that you have at the moment. And they're obviously informed by, you know, the world that you're living in and writing in. Do you ever, you know, butt heads um, with people over that stuff? Do you ever get told to tone it down or do you get told to ramp it up? Um, I think, I mean, it depends on the show you're on. Mm. Um, and like I said, it's not something I'm setting out to do. First and foremost, 
I'm about fidelity to character. Yeah. Um, so I don't sit down and write and say, this scene is going to be a polemic <laughs> about, um, yeah. about race. Um, I sit down and go, what, is, what are the characters feeling in this scene and how, um, and are they being honest about it and how does that affect the other characters in the scene? That's, that's all I do. That's my job. Yeah, no, no, um, absolutely. I would say, yeah, so I would say like... Uh, if it's working, though, a good script editor or a good producer and a good exec um, it tells you if it's working to lean into it and to not be afraid of it. Um, so, you know, there were versions of that that scene with, you know, with the doctor's speech and with the punch. Um, there were versions earlier on that that didn't go, go weren't as heavy. Um, and, and Stephen just told me, like, not to be afraid of it and to really feel the doctor's anger. Um, As his fist crunched into an aristocrat's face, it was so good. I'm I'm sorry, it made me so happy. It made me so happy just to, just you know, just a blow for the little guy. It just felt, it felt right. But the whole episode felt right. Um, And I am, I am also acutely aware that this conversation, which I am enjoying like a great deal, is I think we have a 20 minute limit, and I think we're sitting at 18. So, is there anything else you want to throw in before the door slams shut? enjoying the chat too. No, I can't think of anything. <laughs> oh, damn it. All right. Well, look, um, it's been like a distinct pleasure talking to you. Um, I really hope we get to see more episodes penned by you, you know, in, in the near future. And, you know, it, I guess that's pretty much it. I always like to spend my last minute of time with somebody trailing off inanely. So I think I've, I think I've checked that box pretty well. So. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Well, look, um, I have to say though, yes. I'm, I'm really enjoying this season, and I'm, um, I, I don't know, I don't know really much many details at all beyond episode four. Um, I've just heard little hints, um, but I'm just enjoying it so much. I'm enjoying Bill so much. Um, yeah. So I, I feel very lucky as a fan at the moment too. Oh man, you're living the dream. Well, um, look, run yeah. along and keep doing what you're doing because what you do is brilliant. And um, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Oh, thanks, Paul. Cheers. Anytime. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Welcome to Doctor Who Cliff's Notes, the weekly segment where we take a look at a classic Doctor so that you can pretend to know all about them. So, basically, lie. I'm teaching you to lie. Do I feel good about it? Yeah, you know what? Actually, I do. Anyway, this week, the third Doctor, John Pertwee. Now, the third Doctor began his run grounded. We've all been grounded, right? Well, the third Doctor was grounded. He was trapped on Earth with a deactivated TARDIS and he was forced to work with UNIT, which is literally just being forced to like, do your homework in your room. No wonder he was grumpy on occasion. Anyway, the third Doctor was Earthbound for quite a while. He was, you know, working in the UNIT lab. But he began his run, and this is amazing, by waking up very confused and then he needed to pick a look. So he wandered into a shower room and then stole this ornately... This just insane set of clothes from a surgeon at the hospital, although why a surgeon would dress like an opera singer with color blindness is beyond me. His look was super velvety and incredibly stylish, and if it wasn't all capes and cravats, the third doctor would punch it in the face. Which leads me to my next point, and one that is very pertinent this week. The third doctor punched people in the face. On this week's episode of Doctor Who, uh, Peter Capaldi's Doctor slugs a guy for being a racist to Bill Potts. It was a great moment, but this isn't new, because Pertwee would routinely use his uh, form of martial arts. It was Venusian Aikido to get a bad guy on a table and just punch the crap out of him. And he also fenced. 
He drove a fast car that he called Bessie, he was a skilled diplomat, he was an adept linguist, and he frequently used disguises. And, as if that wasn't enough, he was also dashing as heck. So basically, between car chases, flirting in sword fights, and face punchings, he was twice the man James Bond ever was. Now, Pertwee's Doctor was the very first Doctor to introduce the Master in the story Terror of the Autons. Now, their relationship was kind of a loosely antagonistic one, you know, laced with begrudging respect. And if you ever doubted why slash fiction is so often penned about the Doctor and the Master, which, holy crap, there are gigabytes of this stuff online, all you need to do is watch Roger Delgado and John Pertwee bounce off each other in their episodes. Not literally, of course, just... <clears throat> also worth noting is that John Pertwee's son, Sean Pertwee, auditioned for the role of the Doctor a couple of years back. He didn't get it, but first of all, he'd have been very good because he's a very good actor. And secondly, he actually plays Lestrade in the frankly criminally underrated show Elementary, wherein Johnny Lee Miller and Lucy Liu played Sherlock and Watson respectively. I highly recommend you check Elementary out to see the son of the third Doctor. Also worth pointing out, Pertwee basically designed the third Doctor's look himself, right? So he rocked up to the audition in an assortment of ostentatious clothes that he just sort of pilfered from his family wardrobe, which apparently pre predominantly was made up of capes. Anyway, the producer in the room, Barry Letts, apparently loved this. So he, he, he went with it. Now, I'd heard this story before I went and auditioned for Steampunks, which is the kids' show I host um, on ABC Me, and I play a character in that show called The Inquisitor, and I'd heard this story about Pertwee dressing for the role, so I decided to rock up dressed as Matt Smith's Doctor because the show seemed very Doctor Who-ish. So I rocked up in suspenders, leather boots, tweed jacket, bow tie, you name it, the whole shebang, and I had steampunk goggles on, and I got the role. Now, does this mean that you should always rock up dressed for the job you want? Well, no. I mean, if you're applying to be a cop, nothing ruins a job interview like being arrested for impersonating a police officer. I'm not sure what the moral there is. Anyway, uh, Pertwee's Doctor is also the first to properly set down in the law of the show that he's the defender of the planet. So a lot of Doctors have taken pride in the fact that Earth is under their protection. But this is Pertwee's thing. After the exile that was imposed on him by the Time Lords, after that finished, he didn't have to keep working for Unit, but he did. You know, he stuck around and he pitched in. I mean, think about it. A man from another planet lands here, wears a cape, and stops intergalactic threats. All right, the only difference between the third Doctor and Superman is that Superman sucks compared to the Doctor, all right? Anyway, Pertwee's run on Doctor Who is catastrophically good. I mean, it's just years of excellent television. And in terms of science fiction, it's very, very ahead of its time. And his three companions, Liz Shaw... Joe Grant and Sarah Jane were all utterly wonderful. And Sarah Jane was like pretty much an elemental force on Doctor Who. We will be talking about her a lot more next week when we look at Tom Baker, the fourth Doctor. There are so many episodes to recommend for Pertwee. It's very, very difficult. It's genuinely difficult to pick one that's the best. So my recommended episode list this week is going to be longer than normal. And I apologize. And odds are this is going to get longer every week because... You know, it's, it's hard not to be enthused about Pertwee. So here we go. Episodes from John Pertwee's Doctor Who run that you really should go out and watch. First of all, uh, Spearhead from Space, which is the one where he steals the clothes. Then we've got Frontier in Space, The Mind of Evil, uh, Inferno. I would watch The Sea Devils, then I would pair that with a nice glass of Doctor Who and the Silurians. And then if you're still feeling peckish, The Time Warrior. And then if you want to see how he goes out, because he goes out beautifully, I would watch The Green Death. So if you enjoy velour and punching, which I can tell you do just by looking at you, check out some of the Third Doctor's stuff. And next week, we'll be looking at Tom Baker, the guy with the jelly baby fetish. <laughs>
Much like my patience for last season's Sonic Sunglasses, all things must come to an end, and that includes this show. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I, I hated them. Such a dumb conceit. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Doctor Is In. I'm Paul Verhoeven, and an extra special thanks to our guest this week, Sarah Dollard, writer of Thin Ice. Thank you to Tegan Higginbotham for voicing Tegan Javanka in the sketch up the front. And thank you to you. Uh, you've been really great. All the feedback on the, on the show has been absolutely wonderful. So thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to recommend the show to friends. Uh, if you liked it, the best thing you can do is hop across to iTunes and leave a rating and a review. That's just, you know, that's just the nicest thing ever. And uh, stay tuned next week because we are looking at Tom Baker's fourth Doctor and we have another very, very, very special guest. You are going to absolutely love them. In the meantime, keep enjoying Doctor Who and uh, if you can think of a pithy like outro line for this show, by all means. But until then, bye? <laughs>